Hey everyone, and welcome back to another incredible episode of Prison Counts Podcast, where we take you inside the criminal justice system and what it's like to spend life in prison. I'm your host, Brian Ferguson, here as always with my good friend and co-host, Dave Dowling. Dave, how you doing? All is well, Ryan. Feels good today. The sun came back out here where I'm at, and looks like it's going to warm up, and I'm in a good mood. Gotta love the sun. Uh, You know, the sun is an interesting thing because sometimes when you're in prison, you can't see it. I say that because today you're going back inside to Moberly Prison where you spent, what, eight years? Eight years, yeah. I spent eight years at Moberly Correctional Center. That was right after I got done doing seven years at JCCC with you. That's amazing. So, why are you going back into the prison, and uh, and what do we expect to find from this episode? Well, basically, Ryan, because I'm cool like that. That's the main thing. <laughs> but also, uh, to I called and asked if I could speak to the warden. And while I was there, I had a good relationship with staff while I was there and inmates like so. I asked, I told them about the show and I asked them if they'd be interested in being on. And they were a little hesitant at first because, you know, they thought I might be coming in to, you know, attack them or ask them real hard questions, which is not really what I'm trying to do. I just, not at all. Yeah, I just wanted to get their intake. Well, after they heard the show, then they offered to let me talk to a few of my friends and have them come up, which is kind of unheard of. And, uh, and we did. And that's what, we're doing today we're talking to some guys that i've done some time with and uh it was real cool to walk in like that and even cooler to walk out like that absolutely absolutely and this is a three-part series this is going to be the first part uh we talked to a few inmates in there the second part is coming out the following week and that's going to be talking to a function unit manager essentially she runs a housing unit um, is making big changes, doing great things in there. And then the third part of our series, in two weeks from now, we'll be talking to the warden. How cool is that? Yeah, real cool. I mean, you don't get that kind of access, you know, especially bringing in recording equipment and stuff. They're very, very touchy about that kind of thing. So especially from somebody who, you know, was an inmate there. But she got that she got that approved, and uh, we did it, and it's great. And uh this is an enjoyable episode. It was enjoyable for me to do, and uh, going back in was a real trip. I want to, yeah, I want to ask you about that, Dave. How was it going back into prison? I mean, you uh, you were in this one for eight years. Is it kind of eerie feeling going back in? Well, it was very strange. Like when I first pulled up, I could see through the fence the guys walking the yard and walking the track and stuff. And honestly, it gave me kind of a nauseous feeling thinking about how many times I walked that track in a circle over eight years and ran it and. You know, because I used to run on it a lot, and it was just like, ah, I put thousands of miles on that track right there, you know. But really, it was, you know, I didn't have a real horrible experience at uh, Moberly, or I didn't really have a real horrible experience in prison, except that being in prison is kind of horrible in it in and of itself. But the staff members I saw were all glad to see me, and they were pretty enthusiastic about me being there and, you know, seeing that I'm doing well and Yeah, I think that's awesome, man. And I think that's kind of indicative of why we're here, because we both appreciate what they're doing at Moberly. They're they're implementing programs. They're helping inmates. They want to see you grow. They want to see you successful. They want to see you get out of prison and do good things. 
And uh, we respect that, support that. And that's why we're so happy to be going in there and doing these interviews and bringing this to the world because we think that a lot more prisons should be doing what Moberly is doing. So let's get at it. Let's get at it. Thanks for joining us, Will. It's awesome to have you on the podcast. Good to be here. So this is Willie Wilkerson. Now, Willie Wilkerson has been a friend of mine for a long time. He actually grew up in my neighborhood. We went, we're in the same neighborhood. But Willie went to prison when he was like 12. So yeah. everyone lost contact with him. Now, that's obviously an over-exaggeration, but right, it wasn't but long after that. He was one of the first people in our neighborhood to actually go to prison. Yeah. Anyway, and, and he's been in and out a few times and- Right now, he's been down 10 years. 10 years. So 10, 10 years. years. So. Got an outdate coming up? 90 days, yeah. Nice. 90 days. Now, you've gotten out before. Yeah, I've gotten out several times. Several times, right? So what do you think's different? I mean, what's up? Well, you know, I came to prison when I was young. And, you know, I like like most people in prison, I, you know, I didn't have a really great upbringing. You know, I, there was a lot of drug abuse around me. And just really no guidance. You know, I was in the streets real young and running and, you know, thought I knew everything. And, you know, you could pretty much look at my behavior at 14 and, you know, and tell that I was going to spend a good deal of my life in prison if I didn't change things. And, uh, you know, I just, you know, I just really didn't have, it wasn't that I didn't have the desire to do better things. I just, you know, I just didn't know anything different, you know, and I, yeah. I came to prison and I, I got caught up in a system that has changed a lot in the last 20 years that I've been in and out of it. And, uh, you know, there wasn't really a lot to uh, take a different path. You know, you were just caught up in the system. And Well, there uh, weren't too many programs 20 years ago. There wasn't no, a lot of re- rehabilitative things. You know, there there wasn't. And, uh, you know, I just spent a good deal of my life in here. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm just thankful that, you know, in this 10-year bid, I was able to really wake up and take a look at myself and make a lot of changes, you know. And, uh, you know, I'm in the college program that Dave talks about that nice. I've got in here. I'm about eight weeks from getting my degree. That's awesome. And, uh, you know, I work. I've been in the program for four years, therapeutic program. And, you know, I've just really changed my whole life this last eight years. And that's something I never did, you know. And, and I feel like I've, I've really got a shot to get out. And be a dad to my kid who's 15 and I haven't been there for since he was five. Yeah, that's cool. You know, I mean, cool so, to be able to have that opportunity now. And it seems right like you've now. done a lot for yourself to be ready for that. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying, you know, and, uh, I don't know. I just, I finally gave myself a break. You know what I mean? I got off the drugs and, and I took advantage of the programs that are in here. And I kind of realized that I like myself, you know, even when I'm not high, you know, I like who I am. I'm an artist. I'm a musician. You know, I've been in some of the bands with Dave and, you know, I paint, you know, I have some I like, of your paintings hanging up in my house. I like, I like who I am. You know, when I'm, I, I really like who I am when I'm not getting high, you know, when I, yeah. when I'm getting high, I don't like who I am. I don't like the things that I do and I don't like the people that I hurt. You, you know, know, you're in, instantly separated from everyone when you, when you decide to get high after you've been an obvious addict for a long time, because you immediately have a secret and you're immediately lying. True. You know, so you're immediately not being yourself again. And so one thing I liked about prison was that I was able to be David Dowling again. There was no secret. I had no, and I'm still like that now since I've been out. I don't have any secrets. I'm not hiding anything about yeah. myself. And it's, that's free, you yeah. know? So I was free here. Out there it was always a cover up, cover up, help me cover everything up kind of thing. Yeah. And now yeah. it's, hey, I don't need anybody to cover up anything for me. If I make a mistake, it's just because I'm human, not because I'm, trying to sneak or I'm trying to, you know, sure, do yeah. something underhanded to get more or whatever that, you know, the whole addiction cycle thing that just continually makes you f- 
feel worse and worse about yourself. There's an interesting story about Willie. Now, Willie's been down 10 years. He goes home in 90 days. But that right there is a miracle because Willie was getting ready to get a whole bunch more time. Right? And he, it, it's, I don't know. Do you want to tell the story? Uh, I, you know, I was, I came back this time. I, I already had to do about eight years for a, for a previous conviction and I was on probation and uh, I caught a class A trafficking and I was charged with a couple hundred grams of methamphetamines and I carried a 10 to life sentence. And, you know, do I think I would have got a life sentence? No, but I think I probably could have easily got 20, 30 years. Yeah. And, uh, so I, I, I chose to do what I've always done, which is, uh, you know, resort to, you know, my criminal ways. And I, I escaped out of a County jail and, you know, in hindsight, you know, it's something I shouldn't have done, but, you know, I feel like everything happens for a reason. And, uh, while I was on the run on escape four or five days and, uh, just trying to, just trying to maintain my freedom, uh, I bumped into an old lady and I don't know where she came from. I, you know, to this day, I feel like maybe God put her there. She just started a conversation with me and I seen she was doing her yard and, and just cause you know, she so kind of reminded me of my grandma. Street. Yeah. I was walking down the street and she just popped out of her yard and, you know, just started talking to me and hmm. said it was hot that I want some tea and really just trying to get off the streets. I, I took her up on her offer and I helped her do her yard. You know, it took me about two or three hours. I helped this lady do her <laughs> yard work. And That's cool. Later on, I'd gotten caught and somebody had contacted the St. Louis Post-Dispatch about it. And they wrote an article on me and called me an angel from an unlikely source because she had told me I was an angel for helping her. So when I went to court, my judge had seen that and she had told me that I wasn't a bad person. I just made some bad choices. I think them events had kind of put me on this path that I'm on now because I felt like, you know, maybe I'm not that person I've, I've been the last 20, 30 years on drugs and committing crimes and hurting people. And it just made me feel like maybe there was something more there. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point, too, is just because you're in prison or you've been arrested, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It means you messed up and did something that is considered bad, you know, or you did something stupid, but you're not a bad person. However, society and the system kind of makes you feel like a bad person. And it's hard to recover if you feel that way, I would imagine. Well, you're not being judged on your good deeds when you get here. You're being judged on on what you did to break the law and to harm others, you know, in your impact on society. But I think it's telling that your impact on one person that day in the midst of a shit storm of negative shit going on, you did one nice thing and it came back to save your life. And that's amazing right there. You know, the ripple effect of one good deed because the story was written by Bill McClellan in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. And I guess anyone who wanted to look that up could because he had an article, kind of a, uh, what do they call it, op-ed kind of thing. Oh, yeah. yeah, where they where he just comments on yeah. different aspects different, of yeah. life in St. Louis and the area, and you know he's kind of a colorful commentary guy. He he wrote me his own letter one time after <laughs> I had written him. I saved it, but uh, he said, "Yeah, you make a lot of good points." You know, da da da. I live right down the street from that story you robbed, and I was like, <laughs> "Damn, yeah, <laughs> you're welcome and sorry, you know." But uh, you know, it is telling. You know, he went. When he got, when Willie got returned to that same county jail, re-escaped from, you can imagine how embarrassed and angry they were when he came back, you know, and they put him in the cell with a guy and Willie just happened to tell the story to that guy. And that guy got out, went home, 
called Bill McClellan, and Bill McClellan liked the story, picked it up, wrote the article. That's wild. Found the old, went and found, he didn't just take Willie's word on in this guy. He went and found the old lady and spoke with her, and she told him the story. So it's not like Willie Pretty just made up. Yeah. 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 yeah, she told him the story. He went in and put the footwork in and told the story, and that was the difference between Willie getting 10 years and Willie getting 25 years. And I think that's, that has to, and to me, that's a kind of a higher power type. Yeah, intervention. Definitely, definitely right there. something bigger was that. Work. And it's inspiring, you know. And, yeah. and one thing I look at it because I felt like I too had the same kind of intervention in my life was I felt like it was also God saying, "And this is the last one, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and this is it. You know, Do it right? again. I'm out of here. <laughs> right. Do it again. And you're on your own. But you know, I've thought that before, and I've never been left on my own. I've always had people who love me and care, and I hope everyone has that, you know, because it's very important. So I'm very curious. So that kind of led you to growing and believing in yourself more, knowing that you're a good person who's made some bad choices. And obviously prison, especially Moberly, has provided those opportunities. You said earlier that prison has changed a lot in the last 20 years. What are some of those differences? Like how has it changed in your opinion and what you've seen? I mean, you went to prison when you was pretty young, I know. Oh, yeah, 19. And yeah. Uh, you you know how that can be to land on a prison yard. But, you know, when I went, you know, if you had a problem, then we could do whatever you wanted to do. You know what I mean? We could take it to whatever level you wanted. Because when you got to prison, they're basically like, you need to be with a and group. That, like this yeah, group and, that's, and that that was the rationality of the thinking back then, you know. And, and then being a young man at 18, you know, you're wanting to prove yourself. And you're, you know, so you, it's easy to get caught up in that lifestyle. Part of survival. Know, now, now here I run around at 50 and I've got a couple tattoos on me that, you know, I'm really not proud of because I've learned in my life that, you know, I, I need to treat every man, you know, how, how they, they present themselves. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Who am I to judge you for, for what you look like or where you've been or what you've done when, you know, I've been judged my whole life for them things. So right. I just try to uh, humble myself and I wish that I could have came to prison at a time like now when there's a lot more to help you, because I don't know that I would have spent 30 years in prison, you know, but I'm yeah. thankful that I've got a chance now to get out and do something different. You know, it's awesome. absolutely, you know, and you do have support out there and yeah. I'm your friend, I'm going to help support, you know, yeah. and I'm always there. And like I was telling Miss Lake and you know, Miss uh, Hagenoff when I came in that, you know, a lot of people reach me on Facebook you know, reach me, reach out to me on social media. And I've had to delete some of those people, you know I mean? If you need to borrow $100 after 2 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> I'm deleting you, okay? <clears throat> no, you know, I mean, if you need $100 on multiple occasions after midnight, I'm going to have to put the old block arena up, you know? Not exactly what you're there for, yeah. Yeah, you might not yeah. be on the same path I'm looking for. Not that I... Not that I don't understand and not that I certainly don't relate and don't remember what that feels like, but I certainly don't want to uh, entertain that in my life anymore. You know, I have other people to think about my family and my neighborhood, and I don't want to draw an element to their lives that could be dangerous in any way. Yeah, you know, sure. I can't have you over at the house with drugs on you or high on drugs, and I don't know what you might be doing or being erratic or maybe you're just casing. I don't know what you might be on, but <laughs> if I suspect that you're on hard drugs – you know, you're not going to be in the loop. Well, I think that's an interesting point, Dave, is that while we talk about being in prison, when you get out and Will, you're going to have to deal with this as well Is you know, we still know the people we know and you're going to be around things or people are going to come into your life who are 
not living a clean life or not wanting to do the right things. Are you prepared to deal with that side of it and, and kind of navigate kind of the more negative things that could happen? It's uh, it's funny you ask that because that's, you know, that's been my biggest issue that I've been dealing with lately. You know, right. you know, I've got a lot of family and, and friends and, you know, my, you know, just people in my life that I can't, you know, I can't just shut out of my life for good that I'm connected right. to, you know, I mean, and, uh, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to close the people on, you know, you know the door on people that are going to be toxic, you know, especially family or loved ones. You don't want to do that. For me, you know, I've got a 15 year old son that I love dearly. He deserves to have his dad, you know? So, you know, my changes in the last eight years at first were really me saying, you know, it's not about me anymore. It's about him. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I used up all my times to say, Hey, this is about me. It's really about my son. And, uh, you know, I just, over time, I I started to realize that I have to do it for me too. So, you know, I have to get out and be selfish. It's hard to say that, but when it comes to relationships and old friends, I'm going to have to be selfish. I'm going to have to reevaluate every friendship, every relationship that I have. And if you're not healthy for me, I can't, I can't take the risk of going back down. And you know, that kind of selfishness is just called building boundaries. You just got to have boundaries. One thing I've experienced and learned is most people that are involved in that kind of lifestyle really don't want to spend too much time with someone who isn't, you know, I'm not very exciting. Like people who do hard drugs don't want to sit around and watch Mad Men with me and my (laughs) fiance for three straight hours for four <laughs> i mean really i mean it's not that exciting they seem to not be able to sit still that long so you know. <laughs> dave's such a good role model because he's so boring yeah. now it's so, good. He's so boring <laughs> that's great. it and i work and all i talk about is like i did here just complain about everything and, and <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> yeah you know i look forward to Billy getting out you know i look forward to him being healthy person in my life. I'd definitely like to play music with them again. I mean, there are some restrictions we have to follow because, you know, for two people that are on any kind of paper, can't hang out without some kind of approval from, sure. uh, you know, your yeah. probation officer, parole officer. Now I'm in pretty good standing with mine, but th- those things have to be worked out because those are violations. Neither one of us can handle any of that kind of stuff. So it's good to see him. Now, if you're working together or something like that, you can be around one another and, all that kind of stuff. But if you're just socializing, yeah. you know, and they pull you over when I've got my car opener, tow truck equipment in the trunk, you know, they might not really appreciate that too much. And I can, I can raise a sure. flag. Especially when you're in the car. So you're riding on your own. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I meet you out for dinner. You're riding separate. No problem, dude. Yeah. Until we see that pattern develop, you know, I need, I need to see that pattern of. What is an interesting thing that it makes me think about is, when you are, when you do get out, then you're supposed to be separate from the people that you've been around for the last few years or however long you've been incarcerated. A lot of people you grew up with or whatever, anybody who has another felony or something of that nature. But it would be interesting if people like yourself, Dave, who have been out for some time and have done good things with their lives could be a mentor or a role model as part of the probation and parole system. You think that would be something that... Everybody now, people have asked from? me that before, too, and I'm not against anything like that. But I'll tell you what, in, in life itself, you find plenty of opportunities to role model the younger people who are having problems. Uh, I promise. So going back to you said the prison was was different 20 years ago. like, And that was your mentality, your mind frame as well. What was your daily life like 20 years ago in prison when you were young and didn't care and just 
you know, having fun was, was the only thing that mattered compared to now when you really care about growth and becoming a, a better, more productive person. Well, my, my daily life 20 years ago in prison was, uh, you know, if I wasn't in the hole for doing, you know, for a year or six months, I mean, I did some, you know, I did some pretty substantial whole bits, you know, just six months here, four months there. For drugs mostly or? Uh, dirty urns, drugs. If I wasn't in the hole, I was doing drugs. I was tattooing, uh, fighting, running a store. Prison-y know, type stuff. Playing handball, running the yard, playing tickets. Yep. You know, I was Just hustling all day. Just not doing, yeah, just, I mean, if I was working, it's because I was, I could go up there and steal some, some onions <laughs> and some green peppers out of the back, the back door, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was just, you know, I was just on a, a criminal path. I just didn't care about nobody or the consequences and. You know, uh, today I work a full-time job. I go to college full-time. I go to a couple classes a week. I run three or four times a week, you know, at least four miles. That's my minimum. Nice. Uh, I work out a couple times a week. You know, I just try to keep one foot in front of the other. I just try to stay busy. I try to stay around positive people. You know, when I go to the yard, I don't even, I don't even stop. You know, yeah. if you want to talk to me, you're going to have to walk because – where I'm going, I'm getting there. You know what I mean? And I just, you well, know, especially I'm when there's on static else. on the yard and stuff, all you got to do is sit down and the guy next to you gets punched in the head and you can find, very well find yourself under yeah. investigation. Yeah, you're sitting in the hole. You don't just go to the hole because you got a violation. You might go to True. the hole because they think you were involved in something bad, you know, and they're going to figure it out until, uh, Till then, yeah, you know, yeah, so, sure. Because they can watch you nowadays, which is different than the old days. Everywhere you go, oh yeah. You know? Before yeah. there was cameras, it was a different animal, you yeah. know. But now with the cameras, I mean, if you stop and you're talking to somebody, and that person goes and hurts someone else, then they might think that you asked them to go hurt. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to it, you know. So you really, you do got to protect your boundaries. You and, do. You got to be and careful. Be your own man. Yeah. So we're gonna bring in uh, Buck here, Willie. Thank you so much for joining us, man. Thank it's you, a pleasure man. to meet you. Yeah, thanks, Will. It's good meeting you too, man. And, uh, see, see you in about 92 days. I'll see you, I'll see you brother. Appreciate All right, brother. It. Thanks All right. for coming Thank out. Appreciate, appreciate you. Take care, man, and best of luck when you get out. I know you're gonna crush it, man. Keep doing good things. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. All right. So I have another friend. He's sitting here right now. So I hope he doesn't slug me for saying that he was a wreck when I met him. (laughs) You know, I mean, I'm sure you were a a gym yourself, Dave. No, I was in pretty good shape for real. I was was here. I hadn't. Yeah, it was here. Oh, okay, okay. I met met Buck here. Richard. I thought you guys met like 20 years ago. (laughs) No, no, I met him here. So I've only known Buck a few years. And uh, when I first met him here, he was a mess. I mean, he really was. He was a mess. He was on drugs and he was he's a he's a type of guy who has a leadership quality around the camp i'm not going to peg him as a leader of anything on in particular but he is definitely one of those guys that people gravitate to and follow he's a very popular guy you know people like him like a, a good dude you know he's certainly not going to do you wrong or anything but yeah he had a real problem so i only talked to him basically in passing you know and we had some of the same friends and stuff and then when we were in the wing together I'll let him tell you about it, but he sobered up and he's still sober today and he's doing good. And he's up here hobnobbing with the warden and myself. All right, Buck. Well, congratulations on uh, getting cleaned up and doing good things in prison, man. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. I'm sorry that you had to uh, meet Dave. It sometimes can be uh, traumatic. It can be overwhelming to live (laughs) in my 
vast shadow. Well, you know your life must be in shambles when it's the best thing that happened to me to get my life together. So, (laughs) Well, you know what? That's the best thing happened to anybody, though, wherever you are in life. You know, one of the reasons we call this show Prison Counts is because this is your life and it counts no matter where you are. It counts. So you can only change where you are. You can't magically be in a whole different situation. You're going to have to work your way out of this one. And you tell people that sometimes it just seems so overwhelming. Taking those first steps towards that can be, you know, almost undoable. You know, it feels undoable or why would I even do it now? I'm sure you felt some of that in your life. Yeah. Well, you need support of people like yourself, Dave. So Buck, what was that experience like for you? I mean, being in prison and I know it can be obviously a rough life, despair and uh, lack of hope sometimes. And so what was it that kind of got you out of that negative space and drugs and uh, and on the right path? Uh, just being open, you know, opening up to Dave. Like I never really had genuine friends. I'm more of a social, like uh, I use drugs by myself. You know I mean? I don't want to share my drugs, especially not in prison. It's too expensive as it is, you know? You know I mean? That's why uh, my word was good, which kind of is like a double-edged sword. If your word's good, then you can get more drugs, so... Yeah. But yeah, being uh, opening up to Dave, I mean, it really uh, opened my eyes. I started surrounding myself with more positive people and uh, I mimicked what they did. And, and I started like who I was without the use of drugs. And, I, you know, I mean, being an addictive person, whenever yeah. something feels good, you want to feel great. You don't want to feel good. So I kind of chased that. So you found something good and kept going after that and that uh, just spiraled. Well, he was in a, he was in a situation I'm, I'm remembering now more clearly, like they brought him over to the program wing, not mm-hmm. necessarily against his will, <laughs> but they just wanted him to go over to the program wing. So Miss Lake, the warden, and some of the others asked if he could come over and he came over and he came in and and I was not too happy about him coming over. You know, not because I didn't like him, because I've always liked him since I met him. You know, his personality is great. But when you bring people over that are active drug abuse, that means there's going to be active drug abuse in the wing. And mm-hmm. that puts you in a position, you know, because I'm not a rat. I'm not going to go tell on Buck for using drugs. But at the same time, when he gets caught, it makes the whole wing look bad, makes us all look like we're not doing shit. So that what used to bother me. So Buck came over and he was in there. And some things went on and some people got in trouble. And Buck didn't get in trouble and he stayed in his room for about 30 days and he didn't come out. And a few of us that are his actual friends who care about his actual mental health and his actual physical health got concerned, you know, and and finally went down there and said, you know, you're going to die. You're going to go insane for real. You remember Mm -hmm. coming and talking to you? Basically. Yeah. And I said, you know, this is going to be permanent pretty soon. Like you're not going to be able to just come back, you know? And I don't know what was said. Only he knows. I don't know if it came from me or just a, just a feeling inside. Probably it always has to come from inside. I mean, you can hear it, but you know, I think once you got sober, when, when I've seen this, that you realize that we have a lot more fun than the dudes getting high. Yeah, we do. You know, we're more jokey. We can kid with each other. We eat way better. Yeah. Because we have money for food. We didn't spend it all on whatever. You know what I mean? yeah. <laughs> so we're big mealing. So how's it been in the last year? What, what, what kind of changes you make? What kind of things you've been doing? Man, I do a lot now, man. I, I stay active in all my support groups, my NA, teaching, facilitating 12 steps. Uh, did my voc rehab or my voc uh, welding school. Went ahead and become the instructor like Junior was. Like I mimicked everything you and Junior did. 
Got my single men's sale, which you were right. It is lovely. Love it. <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, like I, I generally took what I seen from each guy that was like really positive in their life. And I just mimicked what they did. And man, it, it, it was the best thing ever could have happened to me. You, know? you are the sum total of your five best friends, they say, or something like that. Teaching is a wonderful tool for recovery because it teaches you, the teacher, how to be himself. Because but can't he can mimic what I'm trying to do, but he can't be me. But he can find his own qualities that seem to like there's people Buck can reach that I'll never be able to reach. And there's people I can reach that Buck can't reach just because of whatever. They're just personalities and the way we say and do things. But no one learns more when you're out here instructing than the person who's doing the instructing. I don't think, you know, I think it's an invaluable tool. You know, when people turn to you and look for that advice, it causes you to have to step your game up. So you don't look like a fool, for one. Yeah. You know? I mean, when I gave you my word that uh, I would teach the 12 steps as giving back of my part, giving back, man, like you were right about all of it. I really I dug in because I didn't want to sound stupid with that. So I, I knew all the literature. And then the more I learned, it's like it's all about my past experiences. So that's what set my own style for teaching this. And I could reach people that was more my age. You know, I, mean, I mm-hmm. looked up to people like Dave, because he's a little bit older than me, so the people younger than me kind of looked up to me. So it's it's a really good feeling to be able to reach people that other people couldn't, you know what I mean? Certainly, and I'm sure that helps in your recovery as well. Yeah, I, I can't even imagine ever going back now. It's just, it's like, I don't know how I came so far from who I was. It's like, even the style of music, like, I got clean, like, I don't even like that music. Right? I'm like, what the hell was I listening to that for? Yeah, I was listening to some Real easy listening stuff on the way up here. I was like, man, I'm old Gordon Lightfoot, huh? You just replayed that. Wow. That's <laughs> special. Yeah. It's, <laughs> but yeah, and I mean, I think that's the name of the game, really, man, is giving back, you know, and just like you said, your credit was good when you're in the dope world here, and that's how you got more dope. Well, that means your word's got to be good when you come out here and say that I'm clean. You know, because I never wanted to be a phony. I don't like to be a phony. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't. I never liked the feel of that, really. You know, if I'm going to be doing this and I'm going to, I'm going to be the best negative person there is. I mean, and I'm going to stick to it. And then on the other side of it is, you know, I, I like to have integrity. And you can't really keep real integrity when you're using. Prison's kind of a different animal than the street. Like on the street, when I was using and doing drugs, I didn't have any integrity. I'll be honest about that. You know, my integrity was crap. I lied all the time. Prison had made me have to be responsible because there's no neighborhood to run to in this prison, you know, in prison. Like and on the streets, you can screw up bad in one neighborhood and, and then just hood hop over to the next one. They don't even know you and start all over. But that's not how it works in prison. Everything you do in prison will follow you for the rest of your life. No one ever forget everything you do. Here. That's for sure. You know what I mean, you know, if you told on somebody here and everybody knew it 10 years later, that's all I remember. Mm-hmm. Got right. You know, if you rip people off, same thing, bad money. And, and so in recovery, you know, it's important to just toe the line and keep going. And, you know, that doesn't mean if you, you know, that can be a double-edged sword because if you fail, you have to be able to tell somebody, you know, yeah. that I'm failed. You know, and that's hard because if it's building up your ego when you're teaching and then you fail. I think that's what my big thing is with integrity is like I would never do it as far as if I started using, I would just I would stop facilitating, which would be my telling on myself. But I just I couldn't do that. I, You know, what I mean, like I've, I've put my all into this. Like this is who I really am. You know, I just I couldn't I couldn't do that. And I've seen people not do that before. And nothing's more detrimental than a program 
that people on this the people on the yard knowing that the guys that are running at the MH running are all getting high. Yeah. So what are they trying to tell me it means nothing? Because they're just a scam, you know. And nobody can spot a con better than a con. Right. And it, it, it's very telling. So I'm super proud of you. You know, I'm super glad to see you too. You know, I, I am. I always ask about you every time I talk to anyone from here, and I do shoot you an email and stuff here. And hey, man, like them, them, like them pictures and stuff was awesome because it's like, man, it's like you set helped me on this path along, and then be able to see these pictures of you actually going. You know what I mean? And on the beach and stuff. I was like, man, I can't wait. I mean, that's like what I'm wanting to do and everything. And that's just like, man, it's just. Yeah. And I'll be honest, it feels as good as it looks, buddy. I, does it? Oh, yes, it does. Okay. You know, I'm going to marry a beautiful woman on April 30th and, uh, one of, and my best friend. And that's awesome. Yeah. It's a dream come true. All None of that was really because of my doings. It just all came to me. You know, the universe sent it back to me. And I thought that's a, think that's a beautiful thing. I don't want to give it back again. Yeah. You I know, and it's always there. You know, I mean, you can always. You know, like I said, nobody remembers a thousand good deeds when you do one bad one. You know? mm-hmm. And that's that's it. That's the numbers, you know. So there's zero room for tolerating nonsense within yourself. Only we can bring ourselves back from extreme. But so where are you from, Buck? Springfield, Missouri. Springfield, Missouri. Southwestern down there. Southwestern Missouri. There's a big <laughs> contingent of people from southwest Missouri in prison. Yes, there is. Yeah. Does that put pressure on you sometimes when the guys from your area? Because, you know, there, there's different things like people don't understand about prison. There's regions and then there's gangs and then there's gang, gang regions that kind of turned into gangs. But there's some people that are from the region that ain't in the gang. Right. So there, there's more to it than just you're in this gang and you're in that gang. And it, it, it. there's a lot more to it, especially to guys who are more popular who don't actually have to join stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, and that's you and, and me really yeah. have always been like that. And, uh, so how is that? Is how's that? Do you, do you get some negative feedback from some of those guys down there? Or, I mean, you're always you're going to always have that. Yeah, you know, I mean, people don't want to see people do good. Yeah, you know, I mean, you're always going to have that, but it just sorts out who's who's the genuine and who's not. Right. You know. Right. People who are your real friends, and I've seen some guys from your area that I just love get out and pass away quickly. Yeah. You know, Billy, Billy, you know, his brother's here too. Now his brother's here too. Mm-hmm. Now. Yeah. It, it's just sad. You know, you meet people here and you meet them when they're really in their healthiest state. Prison can make you physically healthy and mental healthy, but you're not mm-hmm. ready when you get out there and you feel like you could use the same amount of drugs again that you used to. And it takes a lot of people's lives, you know, or they crash. I mean, a lot of things happen, but I've seen a lot of young men pass away way before their time. It can be dangerous coming out, especially for people with addictions. Yeah, I mean, but it all starts here. You know, I didn't start my recovery, my life the day I got out. Everything I'm doing now is a culmination of what I was doing here. So I do out there now what I was doing in here now, which is get to work on time, be about my word and, you know, keep up healthy boundaries and enjoy life. You know, I don't sit around miserable because I'm busy. I like to send pictures back to the guys that I love, you know, and care about so that they do see. Because nothing will tell them more if I come walking back in here in that graze again and that duck. That'll tell you too, won't it? Yeah. I can show you what to do. And even louder, I can show you what not to do. Well, I feel like that would have such a negative influence because it's like, oh, well, this guy who's doing really good gets out and relapses. It's like, well, what chance do I have? I mean, I would imagine that would be such a impactful thing in a negative way. you do as an inmate, as an ex-con, affects everyone else i have a job now that they know i'm an ex-con if i blow that how many more you think they're gonna hire 
True. I, I seen uh, Billy sent me the pictures of him and his daughter down in Texas the week that he passed away on an overdose. And I mean, he was so happy. He was back with his family and then one relapse. And I always keep that in the back of my mind that like, I don't want to do that to my family. He's got a little daughter. You know I mean? I got a son. Like I can't leave that to my family. No. You know, it's, it, it's, it's always in the back of my mind. Like when I, I hold on to that, I know it's, that's what I keep in the back of my mind just because it's real. It seemed like yesterday I saw him hit that shot that won the championship in the basketball in the gym. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It seems like two days ago, and it's been some years, and you know now Billy's not with us anymore. And a lot of guys that were in the gym that day aren't with us anymore. Truth and uh, Mike, you know, Mikey Shepard. Yeah. That's sad. You know, guys that you spent your life growing up with and the addiction gets them or the lifestyle one way or the other. Yeah. That's why it's amazing to hear stories like you two who are – growing and helping each other and helping other individuals. And that's going to keep spreading as well. Well, that's it. The same way the bad stuff you do affects a lot of people. The good, every little good thing you do affects a lot of people. And I, I never could see the how badly the bad stuff I did affected people because I didn't stick around to see the aftermath. And I don't always get to see the good effect it does. People coming back and hearing you say nice things about me and saying that it affected you. Well, that just means the world to me. I mean, there's nothing more important to me than hearing that kind of stuff. And it keeps me going. It's humbling because I know it's not me. You know, I was just doing it to save myself as you are. But to hear that, that it, the way I was doing it helped others and inspired them to get better, that, that's very meaningful. Right. I get a little feedback from that on Instagram and stuff now, too. It's right. really cool. Well, I think this is, it's just so interesting hearing these stories because it shows how programs – like the ones in Moberly, like the ones in Jeff City that are actually helping people really, really do help not only the individuals in it, but people outside of that and bring more people in it and helps growth. Because, I mean, do you feel like, Buck, without the programs there, you would have met someone like Dave, you would have had the opportunity to grow and learn? Absolutely not. And that's sad. There's just not a lot of resources for things like that that are really changing people's lives. Yeah, and it's about opening the DOC beginning to open themselves up again to the resources that are available. Prisons become so closed down to visitors due to COVID and the influx of contraband that it's becoming more and more difficult for them to get in here to mm -hmm. help. That's another big thing. But thank you, Buck, for spending some time. Yeah, Buck. Appreciate you, man. Hey, thank you. And uh, man, it's always great to see you, man. Like, yep. love, love you, it. buddy. I love you too, buddy. All right. All right, man, that was a really interesting conversation. Dave, I didn't know you were so involved in the programs and that you had uh, you'd been such a mentor to so many. That's really cool to hear. Well, Mobley was a little different than when I was at Jefferson City Correctional Center because at Jefferson City Correctional Center, I wasn't somebody who had been there the longest or had the kind of that kind of influence. But at Moberly, I was kind of like an old head. And I had a lot of influence at Moberly on the yard and the programs and in a lot of different areas, you know. So I was pretty influential there. And I I tried to always use my influence for the betterment of others. And I think I did. And it was pretty humbling to hear Buck, you know, say, you know, how much I had helped him. And it's awesome. It's an awesome feeling. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing is when you're in prison for a while, you start to get influence. And it's what you do with that. And I think – Old school prison, people probably didn't do the best things with that influence. Um, nowadays, I feel like there is more and more openness to programs and doing good things. And that's what I, 
I really do respect what they're doing at Moberly. And I'm really glad that we're talking about that and can bring it to people and show that, you know, if you provide people an opportunity to grow and do good things and to help others and help themselves, a lot of people are going to take that and they're going to be getting out and be successful human beings. So it's just really, really neat to see. Oh, that's true. And, you know, advice is great, I guess, but really living by example is the best advice you can give anyone because they see, you know, coming back in like that, they see, you know, that I took it home with me and I continued to be the person I was there. hundred percent. And I think that's the biggest thing is, you know, it doesn't end when you leave prison uh, and, you know, and showing people that is incredible. Um, real briefly, I want to discuss some of the terminology we used throughout the podcast that a lot of people probably won't be familiar with. So, uh, on papers, uh, briefly, what is what does that mean, being on papers? Yeah, if you're on paper, that means you're either on probation and parole, and you have a certain amount of time you have to be on that. So when they say, you know, you have to walk your paper, that means you have to, you know, make it through the amount of time you have left reporting to probation and parole and following the guidelines and rules that they have for that. Cool, cool. And we did a great episode on that. Check it out. It was, uh, it was earlier on, probably like our, what, fifth or sixth episode. And it's just, you know, you have certain restrictions. It's just there to make sure uh, that they, they can monitor you and, and you find success. Um, another thing that came up was, quote unquote, running a store and running tickets. Running a store is basically you're kind of a loan shark type of a person. You lend somebody something and they'll have to pay you back an extra amount, which generally the amount is either two for one. If I give you a bag of chips, you owe me two bag of chips or, you know, one and a half for one, which is you, I lend you a bag of chips. That's, let's say two bucks and you owe me three bucks back, you know? So that, prison payday loans, essentially. That's exactly what it is. You know, that's exactly what it is. And run, writing tickets is you're just running a gambling operation. A ticket is like a parlay ticket, four teams. You pick all four. If all four win, you win 10 times, whatever you bet, but a buck, you get 10 bucks, you bet 10, you get a hundred, you know, and, and it goes like that. Tickets are, a, I mean, I, I didn't run a store ever, but I did, I did play some tickets and, you know, in my early days, I made a road a ticket or two. Yeah, yeah. I mean, running uh, tickets, they're pretty normal. They're common. A lot of people just, you know, bet a couple stamps or a couple cigarettes. They have some fun. Most people don't get too bit into debt with those kind of things. It's not it's not your gambling on, you know, spades in the yards, betting $100 or anything like that where people get really, really deep into trouble. No. Um, sometimes it happens, though. No, sometimes it happens. And it happens a lot with the ticket, man. If I bet 10 bucks and I win 100 you better have that hundred you know i mean yeah the ticket so, man they'll, they'll get you sometimes yeah but when they say man i'm gonna hit that ticket man that means you're gonna bankrupt them you know so <laughs> ticket men usually try to bankrupt each other and try to put them out of business by making big bets <laughs> it's a crazy thing to watch you know it's a, it is but staff generally looks the other way on ticket stuff like that yeah because it's not too too big a deal um and then the last thing is the yard um, we've discussed the yard quite a few times. Basically, the yard is just general population in prison. You have kind of two definitions of the yard at once. General population just being, um, you know, out there with everyone else. And then the other part of the yard, depending on how you're discussing it, is actually recreation, being either in the gym or outside, walking the yard on the baseball field, playing handball, whatever it might be. And the reason we discuss the yard is because it can be a volatile place. Obviously this people are either in their cells or on the yard or in the chow hall and 
things happen on the yard. People fight, you know, gambling happens, bad things happen on the yard sometimes, but you got to have your recreation. Right. If you're in the hole and you say, man, I'm getting ready to get back on the yard, it just means you're getting ready to go back to GP. Then there's an actual, the actual physical yard where you go and have your recreation and people congregate and such. Right, right. Cool. All right. Well, uh, thanks everyone for listening. Again, this is a three-part series. The next two weeks, we're going to be putting out the next two episodes. And if you like what you're hearing, please, please, please leave a review and uh, rate us on wherever you're listening. It helps out so much. It helps other viewers find us. Um, So it's just, it means a lot to us and we appreciate it. And you can find me, Brian Ferguson, Life After 10, Instagram, uh, Twitter, all that jazz. Dave, where do we find you? Well, you can find me on Facebook. It's just David Dowling. Put it in there. There's not too many David Dowlings. There's a few, but you'll see me. I'm the big ball guy. And you can find me on Instagram at Dave Dowling 526111. And uh, see some of my posts and you can comment. And yeah, like Ryan said, please rate and review us. You know, it really helps and gives us feedback. And that's what we want. We want to keep making the show better and keep progressing and learning. Heck yeah. All right, everyone. Much love. Have a great week and uh, we'll see you next time. Yep. See you at count time.